All right, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be in verses 19 through 27 this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you, that'll be on page 957 of those Bibles there in the rows that we provided for you. Uh, now, as you turn there, I want to invite you to let your, your mind run back about 2,000 years to this, this moment that we read about in our scripture reading earlier in the service. You have Jesus walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he spots two brothers, Peter and Andrew. And he puts out this call. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, can you imagine their initial response? They're thinking, hey, Jesus, you know, we know a little bit about catching fish, but what's all this talk about? Fishing for people? What's, what's this about? And Jesus said, well, you know, look, hey, I am calling you to follow me, to walk in my ways. And I'm going to help equip you and show you what it looks like to do the same thing to call people to follow me and to walk in my ways. And the rest of the New Testament unpacks, particularly at the end of the Gospels, moving into the book of Acts, it unpacks exactly how this happened. Now let's pause and think about this. What if these disciples, the primary three, the, 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 the 12 who followed him for three years, the, the, the several hundred who, you know, were meeting together, praying. What if they said, man, we know Jesus called us with this clear call to, to go and make disciples, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to all ends of the earth. I mean, basically go and tell this message to all people. What if they do like we're prone to doing today? and began crafting excuses that went something like this. You know, Jesus, I, I know this is really, really important, but I mean, you just have to look at my calendar. I mean, it is packed. I am so busy. I just don't know if I can make time for that. I mean, hey, this is, this is really important here, but... I don't even know where to begin. I'm just not good at talking about my faith in Christ. I would love to see people come to share the faith that I have, but I don't have all the answers. I would love to see people follow you, but I don't want to rock the boat and make things awkward. And to be honest, I don't even have that many non-Christian friends. How am I going to get this done? And what we would see if, 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 we're, if we're kind of reflecting well is that if that would have happened with the early church, man, the whole deal would have just fizzled out in a hurry. Thank God that did not happen. Thank God they took the power of the Holy Spirit and they just went to work sharing the good news about Jesus. They took the good news to all people. And listen, what I want us to see this morning, okay? This is a very, very simple encouragement that I want to share with us this morning. And that is this, that, that God calls all of us to share the gospel with relevance to all people. You got that? God calls all of us to share the gospel with relevance to 
all people. So I want to give us four principles this morning that, that I really believe will help us in, in learning to share our faith with others. Here's, here's the first one for you, okay? Missional disciples advance the gospel with the heart of a servant, okay? That's step one, possessing the heart of a servant. Look in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Here is Paul starting with this statement. For though I am free from all. What does he mean? He means that he just unpacked in the earlier part of chapter 9. Hey, I go to work with my hands. I don't even receive an income from my preaching like these Corinthian people expected from these famous orators who were supposed to get paid for their services. Paul says, look, I'm not about that because that's going to be actually a hindrance to the gospel. So I'm free from all. But he doesn't stop there. He says, for though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Okay, so if we are going to be about the mission of advancing the gospel, we must possess a servant's heart. What does that look like? It looks like putting other people above yourself. Looking out for the interest of others and the agenda of others more than our own agenda. It means having a true concern for the welfare of our friends, of our neighbors, of our coworkers. And being willing, ready to serve them and meet not only, listen, their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs through displaying and declaring the love of God in Christ. This is what Paul has in mind here. And listen, please do not miss this message right here, okay? What this happens, what the, what, when this happens and what this looks like is we don't have the posture Okay, individually and collectively as a church, we don't have the posture that says, hey, come to me. Be like me. Learn to talk like I talk. Orient yourself to me. The message becomes, hey, I will go to you. I will serve you. I will learn to speak like you speak. I will even learn to act like you act insofar as it doesn't distort or deviate from the standards of the gospel. I mean, can I just be very honest here? We've been meeting in this building for more than a year, and here's just a newsflash for everyone, okay? Medford and greater Boston, they're not coming to us. We've lived here for two years to start this new church. Man, no one, when I've said, hey, we moved here to start a new church, no one's like coming and falling on their face and thanking us for starting a new church here. And that's okay. But people here are skeptical of the church. Man, they might be okay with Jesus or okay about us believing about Jesus, but they're typically skeptical. Why is that? Well, some of them have been directly or indirectly, you know, had really bad experiences with the church. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, man, Medford is an old city. It's old school. Man, people are, are skeptical of what is new. So there are all kinds of barriers and obstacles right there from the start. We have to have the posture of a servant that says, you know what? I'm going to go to you. What we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 9 is Paul went into the culture of people to get to know them, to identify with them. 
that he might have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. So as we do this and we display this authentic faith, this sincere faith, what's the greatest motivator for for this kind of effort? Here it is. The greatest motivator for us advancing the gospel is the gospel itself. Paul says in Philippians 2 to have the mind of Christ. And and how does he describe this? He says that though Jesus was in the form of God, being equal with God, he did not count equality with God of things to be great, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being wrapped in human likeness. In other words, God, the Son, left heaven, came to earth to be like us, to walk with us, to talk and speak our language so that he might share his love with us and see us come to faith in him. We take our model from him We're his representatives in this place. And we have a great opportunity to love those around us. Listen, does your schedule, can I just ask you this? Does your schedule reflect a concern for those who do not know Christ? I mean, are you you making any kind of sacrifice through your week in, week out, that kind of routine that reflects, hey, I really, really want to see other people who do not know God come to faith in Christ and have this abundant life and eternal life that I know. Hey, listen, I know we're all busy here. I know this is, hey, this is Boston, right? I mean, we work hard here. We study hard. We play hard. I mean, we're all busy But let me just encourage you with this. I have never shared the gospel with someone and walked away and regretted it. I have never shared the gospel with someone and said, Tanner, dude, you blew it that time. Why did you try to share hope with that person? Why did you try to share grace with that person? Why did you try to tell that person they can have a new purpose in life that's actually satisfying and fulfilling? <laughs> it doesn't work that way, guys. This is an endeavor that if we will begin to practice obedience and faithfulness to God, I promise you, come and let me know if I'm wrong, but you will not regret it. So if we're going to, to exercise faithfulness and being missional, we must go to where the people are and we must take the position of a servant to reach out to those around us. Now, it will take work, but it's worth it. And now the question becomes, well, how do we go about this? And this is what Paul begins to unpack in verses 20 through 22. Read read these along with me. This is what he says. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, think about this. What Paul is doing here is he is building on verse 19 where he's saying, hey, I am a servant to all. And then he summarizes it in verse 22 where he says, I have become all things to all people that I might save some. So in other words, Paul loved, and I hope you could say this of yourself, Paul loved all people. He loved all people. And Paul was willing Okay, and the, 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 the most missional Christians, okay, the most missional Christians know how to mix it up among different groups of people, okay? So he, he knew how to bend and flex and adapt amongst different pockets of people, all the while never distorting the message of the gospel or the, the gospel with the way he lived his life. And he, and he unpacks this by saying, hey, let me just give you a few examples. Here's four groups of people that I really adapted to in order that I might share and see some of them come to faith in Christ. He starts with the Jews. He says, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. And those of you who have been around the Bible for a little bit, you're saying, hold up, wait, Paul. You're a Jew. What are you talking about? You are a Jew. Why are you saying you became like a Jew? Well, when the gospel transformed Paul's life, he had a completely new identity. The gospel rocked his world to the point where everything changed. He no longer uh, identified and, and, and took on the practices of his ethnicity and his culture, but everything was then determined and governed by his new relationship to Christ. And so now he, he didn't act like the rest of the Jews acted. And so he had to find ways to still engage these people by not offending them with just the different cultural practices of their day making sure they understood the gospel. That's what he was about. He said, I became like a Jew. Number two, to those under the law, I became like those under the law. Even though I myself am not under the law, what is, what is he talking about here? He's talking about Gentiles who actually took on the, the religious practices of Judaism. So, so they were not Jews, but they lived like Jews. And maybe what's analogous for us today are kind of religious people. And there are religious people all over the place in New England, okay? Whether that's kind of the, the dominant religion of Catholicism, or you're talking about Protestants who have disconnected from the church. Most people in New England would say, hey, I, I believe there's a God. I'm just not sure exactly who that God is or if I even want to connect with him. And I'm definitely not sure if I want to explore that in the context of a church. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's saying to, to those who are religious but, but, but lived in a particular kind of way, hey, I want to identify with them. I want to meet them where they are in order to share the gospel. Those outside of the law, these are Gentiles apart from any Jewish influence. Okay, so these are people who have no religious background. They don't have a clue what the Bible says about God, Jesus, how we can relate to him. 
And if we're being honest, these are four Christians, especially Christians who have been Christians for a long time, these are the most difficult people to, to, to really get to know, to spend time with, to interact with, to, to share with. But Paul says, you know what, man? I, I spent time with them. I learned how they, they, they think. I learned what they value. I, I wanted to, to, to understand their hopes and their struggles and their burdens and their joys. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that so that I can put myself in a position to say, you know what, there's something better here. And then finally, he says to the weak. Now, this is a little, a little tricky, but he's probably most likely referring to Christians with a weak conscience. So in order to win these people, it's not winning them to salvation, but it's winning them toward maturity in Christ. It's probably what's going on here when he says to the weak, I became like the weak in order to win the weak. So what is Paul doing? He is saying, hey, I want to adapt to each particular people group and subculture so that I can identify with them in order to share the gospel. You see, practically, what does this look like? Let me just give you one quick biblical example here because the context of 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is about meat sacrificed to idols. Okay, now we're not going to get into all the details here, but basically three out of the four groups of people, the Jews, those under the law, and the weak, they would have been those who said, hey, you know what, man, I am not going to eat meat sacrificed to idols. It would have violated their conscience. So for Paul, that's not a deal breaker. He can sit down and have a meal with them and say, you know what, I'm going to abstain from eating that. I don't, I don't have to eat that. You know, I can have something else. But, but, but for those people who were not under the law, who didn't see a problem with meat, eating meat sacrificed to idols, Paul doesn't have some, some prescription in the Bible that says you can't eat that because actually he says the, the, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. In other words, everything that God made is good. I mean, that, there's nothing inherently evil in this meat. It's just that people have distorted it and, and, and used it for, a, for a, an unrighteous practice. But there's nothing wrong with the meat itself. And you know what? I can mix it up with this group of people and I can sit down and share a meal with them too. Do you see that? That's what's going on here. And we can apply this in so many different ways. But, but the goal here is that, and this is, by the way, what missiologists call contextualization. All right? It is communicating the gospel in an understandable manner no matter what the context we find ourselves in. Does that make sense? So we want to communicate the gospel, the unchanging gospel, with faithfulness, okay? The gospel never changes. There's a closed hand on the gospel, but there is an open hand on how we present the gospel, how we share the gospel, how we package the gospel. We want to do so in a relevant manner. So for example, this week, when I'm at the club, that would be the Boys and Girls Club, when I'm at the club and I see my boy Gio, I'm giving that player, what's up, player? Yeah, I talk like that. What's up, player? Give him a little man hug. You know, that's just, that's Gio. That's how, that's how we roll. If I'm downtown hanging out with some of you in the financial district and I meet one of your coworkers, an older businessman, it's not what's up, player. All right? You know what I'm saying? It is, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Look him in the eye. That's that. And we're moving on. Okay? That's kind of how that works, all right? So, so, so it's understanding where people are and acting accordingly, communicating accordingly. 
Has anyone ever visited a McDonald's in Malaysia? Anyone? One person? Okay. So, so, so maybe she could, you could tell us that, that the, the, the ladies behind the counters, they don't wear the classic Mickey D's visor, right? They wear these like paper hats, all right? But, but even added to that, they don't call hamburgers hamburgers, all right? Now, don't, you know, create an uproar about that. Why do they do that? Because if they called their hamburgers hamburgers rather than beef burgers, which makes more sense probably, but, but, but they call them beef burgers because if they call them hamburgers, they would offend and alienate themselves from 98% of the Muslim population that would never buy a hamburger. Got it? It's the same goods delivered in a different manner. That's what Paul's saying here. I mean, to the Jew, to those under the law, to those outside of the law, to the weak, I'm going to act and, and, and respond accordingly. But let me give a, a word of caution, because even Paul, Paul's smart here, okay? He, he says, you know, even though I'm not under the law, and it, it, I, am, I am not outside of the law of God, and I'm, I'm under the law of Christ. So what does this mean, guys? Listen, this, this text can be abused very quickly. You know what? I mean, I am going to the club. I am going to act like these people. I look, Paul's not saying, to the thief, I became like a thief. To the wicked, I became like the wicked. To the adulterer, I became like an adulterer. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I will adapt and bend where it is consistent with the gospel in order that I might see many of these come to, people come to Christ. So I want you to think about this little framework, Christians and the culture. We're not very good at this a lot of times as the church. All right, Christians and the culture. How do, how do we conceive of this? Well, here are three options, all right? Number one, you have Christians against the culture. All right, man, that is bad. That is evil. We are going to separate ourselves and, and find our little Christian ghetto where we, you know, make our own coffee cups and, and have all of our own music and we won't listen to any of that secular stuff. All right? That's Christians against the culture. The flip side of that is being Christians of the culture, where we are so much in the culture and of the culture that there is no distinction about our lives. We look just like the world does. So, so hopefully it's obvious. We do not want to be Christians against the culture, nor do we want to be Christians of the culture. We want to be Christians in the culture. And this takes wisdom. This takes prayer. This takes being led by the Holy Spirit to know how to interact and engage no matter where we may find ourselves. Listen to what New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg says. He says, It is, of course, far easier and requires far less thought to adopt one of these options consistently, either pure separatism against the culture, or pure indulgence of the culture. But neither of these courses of actions is in the gospel's best interest. You see that? It takes thought. It takes work. It takes prayer. We have to get in with people and know how they think, know what they value. 
I mean, just consider a few scenarios here. You are, are talking with a friend, and they are depressed. They are discouraged. They don't know what to do in life. And so with them, maybe you want to focus on the hope of the gospel. Maybe you want to focus on the fact that Jesus will take this world riddled with sin because of the fall, and he will right every wrong, and he will restore everything in all of creation, and then point them to how that even happens in our lives individually. How he restores our broken souls, and he redeems our sinfulness against him. That's, that's one way to speak the gospel. What about for someone that's highly skeptical? Man, there are plenty of people in such an intellectual environment that are so skeptical about faith. Well, maybe we need to patiently listen to them. Maybe we need to hear their doubts. Maybe we need to explore their questions. Maybe we need to be patient with them and walking them through a biblical worldview and answering their questions one by one. What about for someone who has been burned by the church? As we said, that's, that's certainly the case in New England. Well, how about pointing those people to the fact that Jesus reserved some of his harshest words for the religious leaders of his day and the institutions of his day? And you say, you know what, man? Jesus was about true religion. And I can point you to something far better than you conceive when it comes to Christianity and the church. Finally, maybe for someone that's really wrapped up in the world's way of doing things and they are seeking pleasure in all of these different pursuits, maybe you, just like we did a couple months ago, you just walk them through the book of Ecclesiastes and you show them how all these pursuits are vain. They don't satisfy and show them how that in Christ we find the real treasure that we were made for. You see that? And we could keep going with examples on what it looks like to share the gospel faithfully. Now, what is Paul's goal in all of this? He says it five different times in these verses, that I might win, that I might win, that I might win, that I might win, that I might save. The goal is that people would come to saving faith in Christ and join up with God's plan and people and team. So that's our prayer. That's our goal. That's why we pray. That's why we work so hard. That people might know the joy of knowing Jesus just like we do. Now, let's be clear here. Paul is emphasizing his role and responsibility. All right? So Paul understands that he is not the one that saves anybody. And it is not your job nor mine to save anybody. That's God's job. All right? And just read the Bible, reread the Bible, reread the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, look, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. God is in the business of, of, of changing people's hearts and convincing them that the gospel is real and true. It's our job to faithfully share this message. Now, before we move on, notice that he says, in verse 22, I, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Every person that we share this message with will ultimately not believe. 
I mean, I, we wish it were true, of course, but we can't force this on anyone. Sometimes it's good to just tell people that. But, but we cannot, we cannot uh, save every person. Even, even, you know, people persist in their rejection of God. But we can do our best to see many, many people, some, come to faith in Christ. Now, check verse 23. It's huge. It's actually our metamemo verse this week in your worship guide. This is what Paul says. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul is saying, look, when, when we are faithful here to share the gospel, then why do we do it? We do it all for the gospel. Not just, he's not referring primarily to the content of the gospel. He's talking about the proclamation, the declaration of the gospel because he wants the gospel to advance. And why is that? He says that, I might share with them in its blessing. Isn't that, doesn't that catch us off guard a little bit? Wouldn't we expect him to say, man, that they might share with me and it's, and it's blessing. But, but for Paul, it was such an awesome work of God to see someone come to faith in Christ that he also received a blessing when they experienced this blessing of knowing Christ. So let, the, let this verse motivate us we do it all for the gospel. Each day that we live our life, I mean, this is a radical statement. I do it all. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Now, number, number three. So, so, so missional disciples, they, they, they have a heart of a servant. Number, number two, they, they, um, they know how to, to share the gospel with all people with relevance. Now number three, missional disciples live with a singular passion to advance the gospel. Uh, read with me verses 24 through 27 here. This is what Paul says. Do you not know that in a race all runners compete but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified." So here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, the way that I can work and live my life in a way to share the blessings of the gospel and the way that I can work and live my life in order that I wouldn't be disqualified is to discipline myself with a great intensity. I mean, he uses vivid language. I mean, one commentator says this is a graphic picture that he puts forth. He, he gives the, the, the example of world-class athletes. All right, just think about this. The, the Olympics is in London this summer, right? And you have Olympians that are training right now. And do you think they're just kind of going through the motions? Do you think that they're not exercising self-control. I mean, they would not have had those two brownies that I ate last night while I was watching the Celtics game, right? 
I mean, they're, they're disciplining themselves. They're, they're, they're working hard. They're training. They're giving an all-out effort. I mean, he says, look, do you not know that, that runners, when they're in a race, I mean, they run to receive the prize. He's saying, give it an all-out effort. Discipline yourself. Practice self-control. Like a world-class athlete does in their pursuits of the prize. So you too. Do so spiritually that you might see the gospel advance. See, here's, here's the, the danger for us. We can say that we are about the mission of God. We can even put it in our mission statement as a church. We exist to glorify God by living out his mission. We can say we love those who don't know Christ and we want to see them come to Christ. But listen, if we're not praying, if we're not walking across the room or walking across the street to befriend someone, to get into their life, to identify with them, with the hope of, of sharing, with the intention of sharing this life-changing message, then are we really about the mission of God? Are we, are we really about advancing the gospel if, if we're not doing anything about it? When, when Paul says, I do, it all, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, I mean, does that come close to describing your life? I do all things for the sake of advancing the gospel. Do you have that kind of discipline going on in your life? You say, well, Tan, I don't even know what that would look like. Let me, let me explain. It is a rigorous application of what we talk about all the time at Redemption Hill. Okay? We talk about all the time, pray, display, declare. That's mission for us, okay? We pray for those who need Christ. Pray for those who need to become mature disciples of Christ. We display the gospel with our life, and then we just try to continually declare the gospel with, with our lips. Pray, display, declare. And so what it's going to take is disciplined and intentional praying. All right? Disciplined and intentional prayer. It means that we're not just going to kind of, you know, on Sundays, yeah, corporate prayer, check that off my list. Maybe we do that in community group together, and we're praying for a few people. But this is like devoted, disciplined, consistent. I'm praying for these three to five people in my life that I know need Christ. And why not let it be more? More than that. All right, discipline and intentional prayer. Number two, discipline and intentional living. Listen, Paul not only preached the gospel, but he lived the gospel. This is what he's talking about here. He's saying, man, I beat my body. It's a picture of a boxer wrapping leather around their knuckles. It was, it was seriously intense kind of stuff going on there. He's saying, man, I beat my body, made it my slave so that I would live in a way that honors God. Never separate personal holiness from the mission of God. And I love 2 Timothy. It's on the screen for you here. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. What does it say? This is this. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel, vessel for honorable use 
set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Do you see the connection there? We are vessels. We are instruments in the hands of God. And when we stay close to Christ, and when we live our life for him, we're going to be so much more usable to him for every good work. And that certainly includes sharing the gospel with people. So discipline and intentional prayer, living, and then thirdly, witness. Let me just make one quick comment. Here's a, here's a little insight into our philosophy as a church, all right? Just go online and go about us and check our calendar. What you're going to see is Sunday worship community groups. Sunday worship community groups. Sunday worship community groups. And then occasionally you're going to have a serve effort here, an event here, but the calendar is not going to be packed with those types of things. Why? Because we want to give people enough flexibility in their weekly schedule to prioritize living like a missionary right where they are. We don't want you to spend five, you know, eight to ten hours a week with, with what's going on at Redemption Hill. I mean, we want you to, to spend, you know, a few hours a week with Redemption Hill and, and then a few hours a week just doing your thing, living like a missionary right where you are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, amongst your friends. And so I hope that this, this message today, if nothing else, it will compel you to, to have your antennas up and begin spending more time with those around you who need Christ. Now, let me give you seven ways, all right, very briefly, seven ways to be missional, missional right where you are. Number one, eat wisely, all right? And this doesn't, you know, I'm not talking about gluttony here or anything like that, all right? I'm saying everyone has to eat, right? Everyone eats, so why not take your lunch break and spend it with someone in your workplace that you know needs the gospel. And here's a secret. I'm not even saying you got to just drop the gospel on them right there the first lunch. How about get to know them? Hear about their story. Share your story with them and, 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 and still have an urgency. We have to live with an urgency to, to be getting them the gospel. Number two, hobby well. All right, that's probably not well put, but uh, in other words, take your interests if you love sports, man, go do sports in the community. If you love art, go do art in the community. If you love music, go get in a music group with people who have faith and don't have faith. Hobby well. Number three, be a regular. Go to the same park in your neighborhood again and again and again. It works really well. You just meet the same people week in, week out. That's what we try to do with our family. Go to the same grocery store. Go to the same restaurant. Go to the same coffee shop. Go to the same gas station. You get the point? Be a regular. Number four, participate in the community. Go to community events. There, the the Medford's, Medford Farmer's Market goes on in the summertime. Go check it out. Take a class in the community. Number, number five, Volunteer. We have local partnerships with Boys and Girls Club, with, with the Housing Authority, with West Medford Community Center. Just go and serve. And you're going to rub shoulders with all kinds of people who need the gospel. Coach a little league team. Get involved in the community. Number, number six, be re resourceful. All right? We, we've placed all these invite cards in your seats. Next Sunday is Bring Sunday. Take these 
and just pray. I mean, this is a great first step. By the way, you might say, man, Tanner, sharing the gospel with some really, really kind of, but you know what? Maybe you could just say, hey, this week I'm going to take a step and I'm just going to invite someone to church. Hey, I don't know if you'd be interested. This is why I did my mailman yesterday, Rob, all right? I said, Rob, I played the pastor card. It's easy for me, okay? So you can play the, hey, I go to a new church in Medford card. It just, it's really simple. Hey, um, Rob, I go to a new church in Medford. I don't know if you'd be interested, but I'd love for you to come sometime. I think you'd find that the people are really great and you'd probably like it more than you think you would. Now, he told me don't count on seeing me there, but I'm praying for Rob. It's not that difficult. Be resourceful. We have resources on the back. Exploring Christianity table. Take those. They're free. Give them to your friends. And then number seven, be intentional. Hey, here's a challenge, a very practical challenge. Each week, this is a new practice for me. I'm trying to take each week on Sunday and I'm thinking about people in my life that need Christ. One to five people. And I, and I just want to pray for them throughout the week and I want to try to in, in, engage them in some way. It might be a text message. It might be on Facebook. It might be grabbing a cup of coffee. Whatever it is, just to kind of get to know them and keep building toward the gospel or following up on the gospel conversation that we've already had. Can you do that? Can you take, can you take five minutes tonight before you go to bed and just think about, I have a neighbor named so-and-so. And if I see them outside this week, which by the way, if you start praying that, God will start put, making that happen. It's pretty cool how he does that. He'll say, man, I'll just walk across the yard and introduce myself to him. Very, very simple. Take that challenge. One to five people in your life that need Christ. Pray, display, declare. And then, and then let me just make this point here. Uh, you're saying, Tanner, I thought, this, I thought this whole series was about community groups. Well, you can substitute the, the word missional disciple in each of these points, and, and you could say missional community groups. Missional community groups have the, this, the heart of a servant. Missional community groups share the gospel with relevance. Missional community groups have a singular passion to advance the gospel. That's what we want to be about. When we do that, we will encourage one another. We will spur one another along to see God do a great work in and through our church. So let me, let me close with, with this. Jonathan Dotson has a great quote. He, he says this. Don't make the mistake of making missional another thing to add to your schedule. Instead, make your existing schedule missional. That's what Jesus said in the Great Commission. As you go, as you do life, as you make friends and work and study and play and live your life, live with gospel intentionality believing not in the strength and power of yourself to save anyone, but believing and trusting in the power of the gospel to change people's lives. Listen, if it's changed your life, it can surely change the life of your friend. Let's believe that. Let's pursue that. Let's be a church that is about the mission of God together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It is rich and deep and true. And God, sometimes it, it hurts. So Father, I know there are so many times in my life where I'm just not as faithful as, as I want to be, as I need to be, as you've called me to be. And God, for, for, for other people in, uh, in our 
our congregation this morning who would say, yeah, Tanner, I'm in the same boat with you. Lord, would you just, would you just burden us and give us a new passion and love for you that would translate into a love for those around us? Or we would say, hey, I'm willing to be missional, to, to live on mission with you that others might know this same life that I have in you. God, would you change us by your grace? Help us to worship you well. In Jesus' name, amen.